all the dark stories that you have lived and the people that you know have lived. What is the purpose of that? What is the good of that? Don't we read in the prophets of old, perhaps most famously the prophet Isaiah, about a new hope, about Christianity's hope, about the great Savior who brings hope. He tells us about a God who gives us light, a new life, who meets us in darkness with something different than darkness. Don't we read of these sweet promises in Isaiah 53? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There we have it. Jesus has taken all of the darkness into himself. Jesus has swallowed up all of the darkness that we meet in our present lives, in our present reality. He's taken it all. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was chastised. He was afflicted. He was stricken. He was wounded. And these blessed promises were given to us on account of what Jesus endured. All of that pain and affliction and beating that he endured brought to us, the prophet tells us, absolution from sin and peace and healing. There it is, right there in the prophetic text. So why all this darkness? At the painted door, we have been meditating on darkness now for weeks. We've been speaking on it week after week, drowning underwater, highlighting the reality that in this life it often feels as though we are drowning underwater. We kicked all the musical instruments out of our Sunday gathering for a month and a half, and we're all in our 20s and 30s. This is a dark thing. Week after week, we heard people tell stories of hardship, and we listened, often with no happy ending, with no bright bow on the end. I'm not as familiar with what Village Church or Renewal Church has been doing recently, but Pastor Matt mentioned to me that he recently preached on Job. It doesn't get much darker than that. I know Renewal Church has been entering into, treading into that dangerous conversation on race. There could hardly be a more painful conversation to have in our city. This is what Christians do. Christians return over and over again to face unflinchingly, head on, into the darkest things, into the hardest things. Why? Is this the purpose of Christianity? What did Isaiah mean exactly when he wrote, By his wounds we are healed? Did he mean that because Jesus was wounded, 
we won't ever have to be? Did it mean that because Jesus swallowed all the darkness into himself, we don't have to face dark things? That we can ignore them? That we can simply move on from them? That we can forge a path ahead as if they weren't there? Or did he mean something else entirely? About 700 years after Isaiah wrote that great prophecy that I read from a moment ago, the apostles began to look back at it. And they began to absorb the words of Isaiah as a means of trying to reckon and interpret what it was that their Lord had just done. The Lord Jesus came and lived the life he lived, performed the ministry he performed, went to the cross in the way that he did, laid in the tomb for three days, was resurrected, seen by many in his resurrection body, ascended back to his Father in heaven, and his close followers, his disciples, who were appointed as apostles to apostolically preach the gospel to all the nations, were trying to make sense of what all that meant. How astonishing that they would consult the words of a man who lived 700 years prior. People who personally witnessed, were eyewitnesses to the crucifixion of Jesus, looked to the pages of Isaiah to begin to make sense of it. You know that you are treading into divine territory when something that miraculous is taking place. And the disciples, the apostles, they began to absorb the meaning of the prophecy of Isaiah into their own thoughts. They began to proclaim the interpretation of who Jesus was and what Jesus did, what exactly it was that he accomplished in his work, by way, in part, of the help of Isaiah. His prophecy became an interpretive framework for them. So when we read Isaiah then, a man who was writing about the life of Jesus prophetically 700 years before Jesus came, 2,700 years before present day, before the here and now, we don't have to speculate as to what it was that Isaiah meant by these words. We can ask Peter. Peter is happy to give us the interpretation. The Apostle Peter, in his first great epistle, writing to Christians on the topic of suffering, because so many Christians in his time were suffering, so many were enduring great dark nights of the soul, Peter writes this to those Christians suffering in his time. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's so discouraging to me. You know, Peter sees all of these Christians suffering horribly, enduring terrible things. And he says to them, yes, this is why Jesus suffered, to leave you an example 
so you could follow him. It makes you wonder, why is anyone a Christian? Why does anyone follow this man? This man whose life and ministry ended in such a brutal way did not seem to be vindicated when he was dying on the cross. We know how greatly Jesus suffered on Good Friday. He was mocked and humiliated and brutalized by the very people that he had come to love. What's more, the spiritual suffering that he endured of swallowing all of the world's darkness, all of the world's sin and rage and hostility and ruin and pain and rape and murder into his very body. He endured unspeakable suffering. And Peter says he did all this as an example for us to follow him. What happened to all that talk of him being wounded and us being healed? Him swallowing up all the brokenness so that we could somehow avoid it. Peter goes on. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See this, Peter is hinting at something, something profound that is happening in the middle of the suffering of Jesus. And that is that this suffering he was enduring, it wasn't meaningless. He received it without sin, he received it without deceit. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He did not threaten retaliation, as many did who were crucified in his time. But instead, he put his full trust in the goodness of his Father to sustain him. He gave up believing that it was his job to protect or defend himself. He had enormous capacity on the cross. He had displayed enormous capacity throughout his time in ministry to act in power. And yet he restrained himself from any act, as Leanne read so beautifully, because he fully entrusted himself to the care of his father. He gave up entirely the task of protecting himself. It calls to mind that mysterious line in Hebrews that tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. The writer of Hebrews tells us though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. What does that mean? Jesus learned obedience by way of suffering. It means that he learned what it was to be a fully dependent human person. A person completely surrendered to the Father. 
A, per, a person who trusts the Father's goodness for him completely and has gotten entirely out of the business of self-preservation, of self-protection. He's cast himself fully into the belief that his Father will do right. And in this then, he is fully alive. He is able to live his life to the full. To run and jump and dance and love and befriend and sing and pour himself out with tremendous risk to give all that he is, all that he has in his soul because his father has his back. His father is his only protection. I remember when my wife and I started having children. Now, 13, almost 14 years ago, back in Seattle. And the first two children that we had were girls. And my girls were small. And I'm huge. And so that led to the very fun eventuality of me realizing that I could throw them quite high into the air. And I enjoyed this very much. My wife did not. <laughs> she bit her lip. <laughs> but there's a photo of me standing in the backyard in Seattle, throwing our oldest daughter, Fiona, as high as I can into the sky. She's up over my head more than double my height. And she's just cresting in the photo. <laughs> so that her hair is starting to flop upward, and her arms are out, and her legs are out. And on her face is the largest smile you've ever seen. Because she knows nothing except for that her father will do right. She has no idea how often I dropped a football in my playing days. In her mind, she has full confidence that I'm going to catch her. That it's not her job to be concerned about whether her father will hold her. About whether her father will protect her. Will save her even from that precarious position 18 feet off the ground. And so she's able to be fully present in the moment, to live fully alive, because the job of her father's belongs to him. And her role is simply to delight. So what happened to all that Isaiah language? By his wounds, we are healed. Peter again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, by his wounds you have been healed. Peter here, speaking in the context of people suffering, he quotes this section from Isaiah, by his wounds you have been healed. You see, it's not Jesus suffered so we don't have to. It's Jesus suffered so that our suffering can accomplish something. It's Jesus suffered so that our suffering is imbued with meaning and purpose. 
It's Jesus suffered to win glories that our suffering now can participate in the winning of. It's Jesus suffered so that our suffering matters. When you suffer, your wounds are Christ's wounds. When you suffer, you are stepping into the very biography and person and life of Christ. Every wound that you endure in your life, by faith, is a wound of Christ. These are the wounds of Christ. The wounds that Isaiah refers to by his wounds. These are your wounds. Your wounds are his wounds. Your life is his life. His life is your life. By faith, you are one with him. There is no distinction between what is happening in your story and what happened in his. You are united to Christ. Do you know what that means? It means that your wounds have tremendous power. Your wounds have tremendous power to heal. Your wounds have all of the power that the wounds of Christ had because your wounds are the very wounds of Christ. Every wounded experience of your life is filled with opportunity for new life, for healing, for resurrection, for glory, for freedom, for peace, for atonement, for grace. All of the glories that Christ won, all of the obedience that Christ learned through his suffering, all of the surrender that his soul came into, all of the dependence on his Father, all of these precious glories, this freedom, this mercy that Christ learned through his suffering is yours to learn through your suffering. Everything that Jesus learned and received in his suffering is for you in yours. So your suffering then, it matters and there is a richness there. There is a richness there worth paying close attention to. The Swiss theologian Hansers von Balthasar wrote, It is to the cross that the Christian is challenged to follow his master. No path of redemption can make a detour around it. Hear this, Christian. You have no reason to fear the darkest nights of your soul, the darkest night of life. You have every reason to face those dark things in faith, knowing that Christ will meet you in those places, that he has met you in those places. Your wounds are his wounds, and by his wounds you are healed. So you can face it with Christ. Every dark thing, even death, he has already taken all the sting out of it for us. It is now ours to wring glory from people of God. 
in every Good Friday of your life. God has sealed it in the clouds. Sunday is coming. Let's pray. Father, you know every dark thing in the stories of the people in this room. You know every pain and every loss and every sin. You know every tragedy and every agony. And you have known it all in your body through your Son. I pray that you would meet each one of us with that solidarity that we would know that we do not suffer alone and that we do not suffer for no reason that you have filled all our pain with present glories awaken us to see those things teach us obedience teach us dependence teach us love and set us free we pray it in Christ's name Amen